And we are back with another Black and Cream podcast, new episode every single Wednesday and Sunday. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Real vs. World. And today's special guest is my boy, Jeffrey Eaton, the lead vocalist of the punk hardcore band Modern Life is War from Marshalltown, Iowa. Modern Life is War is known globally for their music and distinct sound, having released four studio albums and toured all over the world. Jeff and Modern Life is War were mentors not only to me, but to my entire local music scene growing up. What they were able to accomplish coming from the state of Iowa and the music that they made set the tone for how we should move in our creative endeavors. I am stoked to share this conversation today and relive a lot of those memories that shaped me into who I am today. In this episode, some of the things that we talk about are Jeff's path to getting involved in his local music scene and how his first show he ever attended was actually a show that he booked and promoted himself. The time Jeff moved into a house in Cedar Falls, Iowa and converted the garage into a venue, outlining the walls with mattresses and pillows that they found dumpster diving. This venue would later go on to become a globally recognized space for hosting punk shows, which I often attended and that shit was insane. How Modern Life is War hit the road for their first tour, promoting their three song demo and instantly signed a record deal off the hype of their shows. The reason Modern Life is War decided to break up the band and later get back together to make another album and get back on the road for tour. All this and so much more, Jeff dives into his entire life journey and tells some amazing stories from the studio and tour. I'm pumped for you guys to hear this shit. And if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, you're probably wondering, what the fuck is Black With No Cream? Great question. Black With No Cream is the illest educational resource for content creators fueled by caffeine. Or at least I take my coffee Black With No Cream, but you can drink or not drink whatever caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We have thousands of members from all around the world working together by sharing content, asking for feedback, passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth and you can join our private group if you want to by going to bwnc.com slash join we would love to fucking have you please join all right that's it enjoy the work week keep creating make sure to tune in every single wednesday and sunday for a new black with no cream podcast episode and don't forget to follow us on instagram at black with no cream subscribe to us on youtube and share this motherfucking episode with someone who needs it if you find it helpful um, because that's fucking cool of you. All right, without further ado, I bring to you my episode with Jeffrey Eaton and the most epic podcast intro ever created, right? Motherfucking. Attention. If you stop this podcast recording at any time, you will die. I don't want to die. Do you want to live? Yeah. You have 24 hours to share this podcast with five people or you will die. I'm kidding. You won't die. You're just weak shit for not sharing. And the winner of the best motherfucking podcast goes to... Goes to... Black with no cream. What do you think? It's so fucking dumb and so fucking Ben Haggerty. I knew you would say that. All right, that's good enough. We are back on the podcast. It's running. Everything is smooth. And my boy, Jeffrey. It's in the motherfucking house. Thank you for having me. Um, the singer of My Life is War. The man, the myth, the legend. This guy with perfect hair for some reason for since I've ever known you. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> People talk about it a little bit. They do talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Do you do anything to your hair? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I care about it now. Yeah. I didn't care about it for a long time. And then I started to get older and older. And realized that so many people that I grew up with were going bald, dude. And and I, and then I realized I was like, oh my god, I have this insane head of hair. Like I need to start really cultivating this and yeah. just making it wild, right? Yeah, it's part of like uh, I guess like um, your what like signature thing, maybe. Is I mean, sometimes I feel like it's in charge. It is I'm, in charge. I'm following it around like through you know, it's my life in a way, but it's, it's not really. It's the hair's life. It's, yeah. Well, you're lucky because like for me, my hair is slowly just 
disappearing. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you hear about these things called plugs that people pay $10,000 to get. Yeah. And they tell me, you should get those. And I said, <laughs> damn, it's already there. We're already at that point in yeah, life you're, where you're, you're, at that you're suggesting plugs. Um, we're not going to talk about hair this whole podcast. You played a show here in Los Angeles last night. Mm-hmm. I got to go. It was fucking awesome. Thank you for doing that. Um, and I hit you maybe like a couple hours before that. I was like, hey, got a podcast. Would love to get you on. And mm-hmm. you were down. And yeah. now we're here. And that's the power of the internet and shit. Um, I, there's so many things I want to talk about because the way you've paid the way for your life and what you've been able to do coming from Iowa and, and being able to create music that has you know affected the world and you've literally traveled the world and you've you've touched so many people and stuff but for me coming up as an inspiration i i told you this a little bit last night it's like you've for me motivation wise like and my friends and everyone that we looked up to you because you're a couple years older than me Mm -hmm. like changed the game of how i moved through the years where you don't really know who you are you know what i mean you don't really know who you are. You kind of have an idea and I'm following, I'm kind of going in that lane and that lane seems to be incredibly different than all the people I've been growing up with playing sports and all this stuff that seemed like a cookie cutter lifestyle of what I should yeah. be. Um, but listening to music, like what you guys would release, like gave us the reassurance or allowed us to think what we think is, is okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I don't know. I just, I knew you were in town. I was like, man, this shit would be so fucking powerful to hear your story and tell like, you know, your journey through my life is war and how you've like created a whole living off of it and moved into just being like this iconic. I mean, to, I, I wish I could explain it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like quickly, like bottleneck, like how much this meant to me and to my, to our peers growing up and like what you guys have done, you know, right. first and Ellen's a song that you guys wrote yeah. and to go to have been to, the house that was on that street. So powerful. There's so many things I want to talk about, but in a nutshell for you right now, who would you say you are as a creative right now as a creative in my life? I'm really pushing towards, um, you know, I'm definitely a vocalist and a lyricist, you know, that's, I think kind of always going to be first and foremost in a way. Um, I, I want to be, I definitely want to be a writer. Um, and so that means, you know, like putting out, putting out a book, which I'm working on. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, I want, you know, I want to be a vocalist, a lyricist, a writer, you know, a poet. And you DJ um, sometimes, yeah? And, and a DJ, yeah. I'm a music lover and I love, I love the written word, you know? Right. I've just been like, every day I, I like, you know, have lately been repeating these mantras just to get my head right every day and like word sound power is my mantra right now. Word sound power. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Where'd you hear that from? You came um, up with that? I think that's like I think that's like kind of an old common uh, uh, reggae slang. Is it? Know? Yeah, yeah. Word sound power. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I just I just think those three words over and over again. So I, I know what I'm doing. Um, I'll make you force you to stay at this. Yeah, point. you can get comfortable. You want to no, move that absolutely. thing around? Swing it. Um, come. All right. So I want to kind of walk from where you're from and how that has impacted your culture. Coming from like getting into punk and hardcore music and and living like through rock and roll how did that become like your crutch in life? You know what I mean? Like something you could lean on that you felt confident that would support you music. How, how did I come to that? Yeah. Like how did you find the music that inspired you or, or starting to pick up and start being in bands, things like that. But like music first, when did it first start impacting you to the point where you found an interest? Like, oh, I, I kind of want to like be involved in this somehow. Yeah. I mean, I guess a couple different things about that. First of all, right, right when I found what I would call true punk music, um, it just, 
it spoke to me in a way that nothing had before. You know, it was like it was like the lights went on in the world. You know, I I understood the perspective. Um, I understood the sort of idea of like social politics for the first time. Right. Um, and and also just the fury and the energy and the excitement of it was just immediately connected with me. So, you know, it, it, I, I sort of stumbled into a lot of East Bay punk rock stuff when I was probably about 14, 15 years old. And that was like the big spark for me, bands like Rancid. And then um, the first show that I ever attended, I actually helped organize. Really? Because you know, that, uh, so that was a uh, Safety Second show, you know, who are members of my current band. Yeah. And I was part of the group of kids that, you know, rented the hall and made the flyers by hand and promoted the show. But this is the first show you had ever gone to? It was the first to? show I'd ever gone to. And I was, I was involved in making it happen because we were in a small town. Yeah. And there wasn't entertainment like that. There was nothing going on. Where so, was that? Uh, that was at the, uh, I was at the Coliseum Blue Room. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And, or maybe Anson Shelter House might have been the first one. But yeah, it was, you know, just a small place that we rented for a few hundred bucks. Just like, you know, not a venue. Right. Like we brought in our own PA. We hooked up everything. This is Marshalltown. Yeah. And, and this is like, how, how do you even fall, trip into, into like, I mean, you, it's one thing to go to shows and then be like, oh, I want to do that for someone else and book shows and, right. and come back to that, you know? Right. You hadn't been to one yet. No, I mean, I met, I met Chris at school, you know, and we, it, at that point in life, it was pretty easy or that during that era, it was pretty easy to identify people who are interested in subculture, alternative cultures, especially somewhere like Iowa. Right. So if someone wears a punk rock shirt to school or is like rocking a wild style, right. you know, you want to be friends with them because <laughs> yeah. at that time people weren't, people weren't. Um, as I guess free to express themselves or at least at that time and place. Yeah. So, you know, the freaks kind of found each other and he was already playing in a band at that point and we became friends, but they hadn't played a show yet. Hmm. So I just immediately attached myself to this band as sort of like the roadie and the, uh, you know, just a, a supporter of the band. And I, I just wanted to be involved in every aspect of it I could. So. How, was the, how was the first show? How did it do? It was amazing. Everyone came? Yeah, we had, I don't know, we had like probably 200 people there, you know? So sick. Yeah, we just spread the word through a small town and there was, like I said, nothing going on. So so came out. as you attend, is this something that you're seeing? I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't just his band playing. Was there multiple bands on the Yeah, there's bill? a few bands on the bill, yeah. So you're seeing everyone perform. Is this kind of like triggering anything for you to want to be in one? Yeah, I didn't think of it right away like that, though. It wasn't my initial intention that, oh, I'm going to sing in a band. But I did. I just wanted to be involved in it. Right. I, I wanted to be a part of it. And that was, that was my primary focus at that time. So, I mean, in Marshalltown at the time, there's no one else really putting shows on. At People started to hear about this. And I think for people who don't understand the culture, like, as if you can build a space where there's, like, music lovers, right? Especially in this underground scene, other bands start to travel and they need to play shows in places where people want to hear their music and that starts to become a thing. Are you guys starting to do more and more shows beyond that? Like after you did that first one, did you start booking more shows? Absolutely, yeah. Touring bands start to come through. You know, we start to travel to different towns to play. And uh, yeah, it, it expanded pretty pretty quickly. I mean, we, in a strange way, instinctively seem to almost know what we are doing, you know? Right. When I look back, I'm like, how did we, how did we know to do all that? But we just... You know, if if we linked up with somebody from Cedar Falls or Waverly or Waterloo or something like that, 
you know, we'd be like, hey, we want to come up and play. Right. And then they'd have us up and then we'd host them. Right. And it just, you know, everything started building. Did, how would you, was it just tra- like you would literally just travel to other shows that you heard about? Or because I mean, at this time, this is so early, like Internet wasn't really as easy to connect, obviously, at the time. At that time, it was in-person meetings and phone numbers. So crazy. Yeah. So you meet somebody and in and, and, and a lot of circumstances, someone would actually be like, hey, I'm going to give you my friends phone number he lives here he books shows call him up so you have to as a pretty young you know 17 year old kid call somebody who maybe is you know 21 22 or you know something they're a show promoter in a different city and you're just cold calling them (laughs) hey man this is just trying to hustle your bands and your friends bands and stuff like that so yeah we were we were very ambitious about it well there's an art to it too because i feel like for me starting to get into the booking and doing things like that and then trying to tour it was just through myspace and it was like the same thing you just hear about maybe potential people that lived in kentucky or something you just start trying to message people or get a hold of people if you call them it was like a win to kind of get that opportunity to call the person because yeah. i'm assuming they're getting hit up left and right but it's such a diy way of creating and building an audience if that makes sense yeah right and, and it teaches you so much about how to talk to people and interact with people because you there's no there's no message no you're just talking you're, you're in person or you're speaking with them so right. you know and when you do when you're building those connections it's almost like you're creating friendships almost you know what i mean like because that's what one of my favorite things about this shit is it, it's like we would through all right so for people who don't understand in iowa i'm from cedar falls you're in marshalltown that's like 50 minutes away from each other or whatever mm-hmm when you start playing music, it's like you bounce around to these different spaces because they all have their own environment. So if you're in a band, you could go play a show at that person's town and you may accumulate more people that respect your band from their, like their, whatever you want to call that, like Mm -hmm. audience, I guess. Um, So you bounce around all the time. And for someone in Marshalltown is like super small. You know what I mean? Like most people, it's not off the main highways or anything. Like you have Des Moines, Waterloo. It's an isolated small town. <clears throat> yeah, so it yeah. makes the struggle even more difficult, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you start to create music, like at what point did you start a band? So I started a band. Yeah, I started a band when I was in high school still. Uh, and it, it, as I remember, we started that band because uh, one of our friends got kicked out of another band. And I sort of was like feeling for him because he was <laughs> bummed on it. And I was like, man, let's start a band. <laughs> You know, fuck it. Like, yeah. let's let's do our own thing then. Right. And so then we connected with uh, Tyler, who played drums in my band, you right. know, forever, and uh, and our friend Zale, who was like an eighth grade kid who had never played bass before, but told us that he could. <laughs> and so you know, we we had our first band was truly you know a band of misfits. Yeah. And I don't think we were very good. But no. We we were passionate and we were going for it. So. How, how what was the main thing just like to play to go to school and try to like tell everyone else about it and then try to get everyone to come because what was what was the other outlets besides playing shows was it like that was our thing i mean it. we we were all skating we were you know we would skateboard in parking lots all night and then we would do our shows and that was our, our that was our life repeat but we but we definitely were very very open about who we would invite and who we hoped would arrive because it's not like doing a punk show in LA where you promote to the punks. Right. It's like, you need everyone to come. Mm. Anyone who's willing to step through that door, you want them to be in there. Yeah. It, they don't have to have a certain look or be a part of anything. If they're interested enough to be in there and, and take part of it or watch it, we needed all the support we could get. Right. So that really, I think, changed our mentality about things 
we were just so open. It wasn't a click. It wasn't a division between genres. It was just straight up like, we're making this music. We need people there. We need right. people in this room. So whoever we can get in this room, that's the goal. Did you see that other genres of music were doing similar things like booking shows, maybe for something completely different than what you guys were doing, that you guys would gravitate towards those two just to show kind of like the support between the two genres? Or was it more, was it, more so that the shows were completely mixed genres? Like the the... The artist on the bill. The artist yeah. on the bill. I yeah. mean, yeah, definitely. Anything anything goes. And I what's mean, we cool, were playing it, with all kinds of bands. It seems like everyone in, in spectating like is very open to it. Like last night you guys had, uh, I don't know who the opener was, but it was completely different than yeah, what... choir vandals. Yeah, yeah, different than what the headliners are going to be. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yep. But everyone's interested in hearing new music, and especially like sometimes it sucks when you go to a show and you see six bands that sound the same back to back to back yeah no we've we've always tried to honor our sort of roots in that way where we love eclectic bills we love to showcase other styles of music that we love and and things that we're into so we we try to you know always show that with everything we do so the first band doesn't really work out doesn't really work out but it wasn't ever intended to in a Mm. way you know what i mean i think that we just wanted to get on stage and play shows and write some songs we didn't have and I think that was a common theme with all of that in a way is we never, it took a long time before I looked at it as something that was ever going to make me money or right. ever going to look anything like a career or anything like that. It would just, it was just, we wanted to do it and we were going to do it. And then it was sort of the nature of that music that bands would be together, make some songs, play some shows and they would break up. Right. You know, no one, no one was making a play for anything larger at that time. Right. So that band just sort of dissolved. Hmm. And then, uh, and then I started another band when I moved up to the Cedar Valley area. And when did you move there? Uh, so I started in uh, 1999. Right. I graduated in 99 and, and left home and moved up there. And that's when you tried to start formulating the same thing in the Cedar Valley? Cedar Valley is where I'm from, everybody, if you're listening to this. Yeah. So I, you know, when I got up there, I met uh, a guy named Sean Reed, mm. and we sort of immediately bonded over music. Um, we were in, a commu- again, a community that was very just boring, you know, kind of white bread place that there wasn't a lot of culture, there wasn't a lot of music, and yeah. me and Sean found each other, and we started, uh, we started a band together up there called My Pet Robot. My uh, Pet Robot? My Pet Robot. Yeah, how, that how's my second band. How'd that come to be, the name? I have no idea. I have no idea. Not, I think it's a Sean Reed idea. Tight. I'm going to blame it on him. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, But you started that, and that was the same thing, just starting a band, seeing what would happen, yeah. have some fun. Make some songs, play some shows. Were you guys recording, though? No, Was anyone really recording the music at the time, or was it just about live performance? We were, pr- Yeah, we were recording, but it was relatively primitive for the most part you know it right. wasn't like we weren't going to big we weren't going to legit studios and home recording wasn't quite as accessible as it is now no. we, you know we didn't have laptops like this right it wasn't, you know so yeah it was, it was a little different but yeah we were all attempting to record and and to make to make a document of what we were doing right for sure do you still have any of those like old yeah tapes sure right i have that, that? I, have so a, cool. I have all that old stuff yeah. my pet robot yeah yeah hmm is it do you feel like it was uh as you moved to Cedar Valley, what was what was your like? What were you doing for work? Like, how did how did you transition to? Just, you're just coming here. You got done. You graduated, and you're just kind of coming. Were you coming for music? Did you feel like there was like some sort of music scene that was different than a Marshalltown music scene that you wanted to be a part of? Or, well, I moved there to go to school. So yeah. yeah so I was uh, yeah. I sort of had a. I, I don't think I truly wanted to do school at that time, but I sort of had a vague idea that I was going to be a teacher. 
and so I moved up there for school. Uh, and uh, you and I, yeah, you and I, right? Yeah, yeah. But my focus was just music. You know, I was trying to, and that's been a lot of my life. You know, trying to find a career, but then always just being drawn back to music. Right. And that's you know that always takes over and just you know kind yeah of bulldozes whatever's in its path in my life anyway. Were so, you were you attending college there? Yeah, yeah. How so that whole time that you know you we were doing shows there and all that stuff was happening. You know, I was in school during that time. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so I finished school there in 2000, 2002, 2003. With a degree in? Uh, I, my degree was in sociology is what nice. I ended up with, yeah. So Such an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, was it, like for you at, at UNI, I mean, uh, this is obviously way bigger than a high school, and are you using the same tactics when you guys are playing shows where are trying to find people at the school, or was it more so like there was this outside community outside of like you attending college to find people that would come to your shows? Yeah, but I think by that time we had connected with a lot of people around the state who were making music, mm-hmm. and our I, I didn't really feel like a part of the Cedar Falls, I guess, scene or community right. until until the garage came to be. Really? Yeah, and and when that came to be, everything really came together, and that created like a whole little synthesis. So, can you explain the garage to people? What, what do you mean by that? I can do my best, but I would like to hear your version of it. Well, essentially, me and my friend Josh we're moving and we wanted to find a place where we could do shows. And so we found this little house that was in a residential neighborhood, but it was on the corner. So there was only a neighbor on one side and the garage was sort of on the corner lot. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, we, we toured the house, you know, as a potential place to live. And the only thing we cared, we didn't care about where we were going <laughs> to live. We only wanted to have a spot to do shows. Right. And we saw this garage and it was perfect. So we, went about the business of sealing up the garage door, soundproofing the whole thing and uh, hanging a PA from the, you know, the garage door rails and then spray painting everything in sight and making it look psychotic in there. And we, we built a venue. We just built a venue uh, in a rented, you know, garage. And then some years later, bands from all over the world played that garage. It's pretty incredible to have, that's such a random idea to think and for first it goes for so long without ever getting like shut down <laughs> you know what i mean because it's so dangerous that if you it's think amazing about it. that it's amazing that it didn't get shut down the first time we ever attempted to do a show i have no idea how it didn't it, it i mean i remember trying to convince my parents to let me go there and them just being like this is sounds like the creepiest shit ever. I'm like, no, it's cool. There's mattresses in there and people are throwing these couch pillows. And my mom's probably like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, sounds so disgusting. Yeah so, yeah. so our soundproofing was, uh, the, the dormitories. When people move out of the dorms, they throw away their mattress, they throw away their bedding <laughs> and we just went and scooped it all up and then soundproofed a garage and made a venue out of it. So it's probably so gross in there, but so, that, so disgusting. I mean, it didn't matter because the, the energy. So imagine, right. There's all this shit. You're in a padded room, padded room, literally a, a padded room and a hard concrete floor. And then a band plays punk music and you just start ripping the padded, padded stuff off the walls and like literally mattress mosh and like people hanging from the ceilings upside, hanging from the rafters upside down people. Yeah. Having pillow fights mid set. Absolutely no rules. It, it, and it like you, you guys end up creating a song about this space. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, everything points back to this space because it, it started and created so many waves for different people. Like whether they were influenced by music at that point and just caught a show in that garage or attended, you know, just hung out of that. Cause there was a lot of stuff that would always happen in the house and outside the house 
in between sets and stuff too. People were just always around. Yeah, it was like pretty chaotic. Yeah, it was a very yeah, it was a very social place. Everyone was hanging out, but it you know it wasn't a hard party thing. No, you know, I, it wasn't. There there weren't drugs really. People you know some people were maybe drinking a little bit, but it was never a main focus of it. It wasn't a party house. No, it was about friends and it was about music and yeah and, and creating and you know just people being wild. But it wasn't it wasn't really a party thing. So, and that's kind of what. I mean, I when I got into it, I saw the whole straight edge wave happen, and what appealed to me about people that like going to a show and it wasn't drinking and drugs and shit at the time. I mean, the shows I was going to, I'd see it, and you see like this bond between people that all found like a common goal, and their more their interest was more so in music and developing as people versus just going somewhere to, as a social habit was drinking or usually drinking in high school. You know what I mean? And the farther yeah. things happened, yeah. but that's what was the coolest part about it was that when you go there, it was more so I would go there for conversation. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the people you would meet or the bands that were coming through from Detroit. And I'm like, oh, I've never been to Detroit or someone's from New York or someone's from over the seas. And you're just like, what the, f- how are you here? You know yeah. what I mean? It was pretty incredible that that was like a, sp- a safe space to go and grow as a per- I mean, a person. And when you talk earlier about communication skills, I'm interested to hear how that goes to play with your life because to communicate and, and learn communication, having to cold call people to ask them if you could play a show or you're just at these shows where you're meeting all these people who have all been through shit and you have these conversations with them there outside the show, whatever. They just saw their favorite band that motivates them. They talk about some experience they've had in a random one-on-one conversation that goes so far. But for you to become you know, a vocalist and have to write and tell stories, you've probably learned so much through those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah. So when did... I mean, like, at what point does My Life is Worth start? We started while I was living in that house. So we, I think we started technically in 2001, you know, was when the discussion started or we kind of had our first little practice. 2002 was really the first year of the band. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, sort of finishing up, in a way, my life in Cedar Falls at that point or it was starting to change. Um, and so, yeah, the band started around that time. Um, it was conflict for me at the time because it was a hometown thing um it was four people from my hometown and i had moved only an hour away but i was you know my my idea was that i wanted to get away from home move to a bigger city move out of state go where there's sort of as i saw it at the time real culture or real things happening and be a part of that yeah and so i was trying to get away and I got asked to play in this band in, in my hometown. And, and initially I said, like, uh, I don't think I'm interested or that was my initial reaction to it. I like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to go move to a big city and do something real. What was, which what? is so funny to say now because that, you know, that was like the real thing that right. I did. Um, but I, and in fact, I did move to Minneapolis, uh, even as the band was starting really? with the idea that maybe it wasn't going to sort of materialize. Hmm. Um, but my friend Josh, who I've mentioned already and who I lived at the house with, said, just go to a practice, like hang out, see what's up, like check it out. You should do that. Why would you not do that? And so I did. And it things did click, you know. So um, the band started and my intention with the band right when we started was like, we have to make a, a record, a real record, which to me at that time meant it came out on vinyl. You know, if there's no wax, it's not real. Right. So... So we, we had to make a record and I kind of laid that down like, all right, I'll, I'm interested in doing this band, but we have to make a record and we have to go on a tour. I want to I get to a coast, you know what I mean? I want to dip my foot in the ocean on a tour. Like 
I don't want to just play around Iowa. Right. I don't want to not, I don't want to make 10 demos. I want to make a record. I want to go on a real tour. Right. So everyone was down to make that happen. So we, uh, we pooled our money together from like shitty part-time jobs and chipped in to get into like a real studio, cut three songs, uh, split up the cost of producing the vinyl and we made 500 copies of a record. And then we went on a tour to the East coast and back, um, Again, all contacts that we got, word of mouth, calling people, asking friends, begging. Um, and you know, a lot of shows on that first tour, we offered to play for 15 minutes and play for free. Right. You know, we'll open, we'll play before doors. Yeah. We, we wanna be on this bill, you know, if we saw a decent show was happening. Yeah. And promoters would be like, all right. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay. Right. You know, so that's how it all started. We did that tour, we put out that record, and like by the time we got home, Honestly, like people were talking about it, you know, like people cared. That's so crazy. We, we had a we had a fan base building. We had labels interested. It was like it was going, you know. So we were like, all right, we're doing this. How long was the tour? Uh, two weeks. I think it was like sixteen shows, seventeen shows to the East Coast, to the East Coast and back. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, did you you were selling those vinyls? Yeah, that's and the only thing we had for sale. No shirts, no nothing. Just one one three song seven inch. And, we're, and we sold them for three dollars. Three bucks. Three bucks. God. Three damn. bucks. Three songs. That's fair. Yeah. It's fair. A dollar song. It's like yeah. iTunes. Kind yeah, of. it is. <laughs> is it uh, after, yeah, at, from the front side of it? Is it is it something like, did you see people, were people buying the records? Did you sell out of them? Did you get rid of them? Or I don't it? think we sold all of them on the tour, but shortly after they kind of did move out. Yeah, like we sold through that first press. When we made that first press, we were like, we're never going to sell 500 records in yeah. our lifetime. It's a lot. Like, we're all going to have 20 copies, 30 copies. As most bands do. As most, that's what usually happens, yeah. you know, when you make a record like that. So, yeah, so we sold through them and then, uh, and then made another press. Kept it going. It's still in press, you know. We've sold, like, I don't know how many we've sold now, but, you know, so for many. us a lot. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It, it was, like, the tour was funded by you guys literally from your jobs. That's how you guys were able to get across the country. Everything, at, yeah. Like, $3 per thing is not paying for your gas. No. I'm assuming not every uh not every gig paid was you. paid. Yeah, we yeah, we were out there. Yeah, we had hustled and like saved money from our jobs to like go do that. And what were the show like what, what what kind of venues were you playing in at the time? We were playing in a lot of like sort of VFW halls, rented places, basements, very few actual venues, very right. few actual clubs or right. places that have sound system and sound, you know, like a sound engineer and stuff like that. So mostly DIY setups, mostly houses and, and halls. So you come back, you do another press, everything starts to kind of pick up steam. Did you guys, what, what have, I mean, you're getting labels are hitting you up at the time? Yeah, we had, I mean, we had a label offer to pay for, a, to put out a full length for us to pay for studio time and, and to put out a full length for us. So we just, we came home and immediately started working on that with that label, with that label. So what was like going through your guys' head at that time where this, this kind of clicking and you, what you said has already been accomplished. Like, all right, I want a tour. I want to go. I don't know if you dipped your feet in the ocean, but like you yeah. wanted to go to a coast and not do Iowa and it's working, right? Yeah. How much time did that take before that tour happened? Like from the time you guys set out to like start the band until you went on tour? I mean, that was the first summer. So that was, yeah. So, <laughs> so you I, like knocked off your bucket list like immediately? We just, yeah, right away. We just started charging. So then what, yeah, yeah what did that feel like for you? I mean, it felt amazing, you know, like it's, it was, it was definitely our mentality that we couldn't, if we asked for something, there was no way anyone was going to give it to us. That right. was our mentality. It's just like, go take it, you know? Hmm. And we weren't, we weren't, 
we were nerdy kids. We weren't tough. We weren't bold in, in a certain way, but we, we definitely believed in what we were doing. And we believed in the idea of like just pure action, like show up in Boston and like rip a set and make sure people don't forget it. Right. Like that kind of mentality where it's like, we're not going to wait for some label to like bless us. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait for the big promoter to give us our big chance. Like we're going to go, we're going to go be in your face somehow. Right. You know, we're just going to kind of like push our way in. So then when you came back, you're going back to Marshalltown? Yes, at the time, yeah. So was this a struggle at all? I mean, if you go and do a tour, before it was a struggle for you to consider the idea of going back to Marshalltown because you wanted to get away from it. But then you went back and the music is kind of working in your favor. So is it now, is it still like a struggle to you and the idea of like, but I still want to go, like there's something bigger and outside of the, the, you know, the confine of this city. I've struggled with that since day one. Yeah. And I still do. Right. Like it's so much my home and the band always brings me back there. I've been there several times this year. Yeah. At this point in my life, it's mind blowing to me that I end up in Marshalltown, Iowa <laughs> over and over and over again throughout the year. But that's where that's our headquarters. That's right. where we're at. That's where we come from. It's our home. So yeah. so no matter what, you know, I've lived a lot of different places in my life. I've lived here. I live in Oakland right now. I've lived in Phoenix. I lived in Kansas City, Minneapolis, all these places, but I, you know, everything sort of like all roads lead home for me in a lot of ways. So it's crazy. So then what was the plan after you start going straight into the studio and did you guys have, how did you guys strategize making uh, your first album? You're like immediately funded to create a project with your guys' ideas. A label's got your back. Mm -hmm. You know that that first thing just went well and you probably do it again. So like, how did you guys strategize the album? Or was it just like, let's just hang out in a room and write a bunch of songs to see what kind of works first. Or did you have a plan? Like, did you have a message you wanted to convey in that? Yeah, in our world at that time, and to some extent still, we have to we have to write the record and know the songs and be able to play it all together and know it before we step foot in the studio. Right. Because the budget's not there for us to be in the studio writing trying, songs yeah. and trying different things. Like we go in. I mean, our first record we made. In, uh, we made in five days in the studio, 10 songs in five days. Which were out. My Love, My Way, the it, first full length. In how many days? Five days. Jesus Christ. And so we went to a, we went to a studio in Brooklyn um, called Atomic, which at the time, it had done a few very notable hardcore records of the moment. And so we wanted to, we're like, we want to go, we want to go do it where it's happening. Yeah. You know, so we went to Brooklyn. Uh, we stayed on our friend's kitchen, like I, or I slept on his kitchen floor. <laughs> Um, and we had five days in the studio to do 10 songs and we came in with the songs loaded, you know, we were like ready to lay them down, right. but it was stressful and it, we had never been in that, you know, that real of a situation before yeah. and it was kind of the pressure was on. Uh, but you know, we made the 10 song record that, that did its job. Like it took us that next step. Literally. I mean, it's like such a prominent record. We played songs from it last night. I know. In LA. That's insane. This many years later. So, That's so yeah, crazy. When, when, when did that come out? I want to make sure I have this up so I can at least see. 2003. Oh, three. Seven inch in 02, first full length in 03. And still played songs last night. Yeah. We're in, it's 2019, almost 2020. Yeah. That's so sick. It's such a great album. And you guys literally had the pressure of that. Were you guys, when you recorded, was it like, um, was everyone in a room record was it all at one time like i know now people kind of just track individual you know like a guitar will get tracked and then or drums will get tracked and then guitar will get tracked. as i remember we did cut some things live but we did we did our own separate takes right. you know what i mean 
I, I definitely did isolated vocal takes where like everything was done and then it was like I'm up at the end was it like was there any struggles of that like for you I oh mean, definitely I mean my voice you know at that time <laughs> I was still learning how to do what I do I was still learning my craft and yeah. so I was unsure of it I was uh, you know there was definitely pressure um, to sound like other people or to sound you know you know what I mean yeah. there's just pressure there like you're you're trying to make a big leap and you're it's the growing pains and you're you're worried you're not there but you're determined to be there and and the studio is high intensity when you're paying for it and you know that there's not another you can't I can't go back in right I'm cutting my vocal right now that's it you know there's no they're not going to send me back in yeah we're making the record right now it's happening so you just make it what, what were some of the things that you did to get over the fear of sounding like someone else or wanting to sound, you know, how did you identify with yourself and how did your band help you help you do that? Cause you know what I mean? It's like, they have to make their own sounds. You have to focus on yours. But at the end of the day, it's like your words are make are going to make a wild stamp on everything. Right. Sure. So what was like, was there anything that you remember from at that time that helped you get through it? Well, the, uh, you know, to be completely honest about that record, what I did was just, literally sang as hard as I could. Like I just went with as much force as I could possibly muster in my person. Yeah. And immediately after the recording, I was not happy with the way the vocals sounded. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had done what I needed to do, but I knew I kind of did the best I could in the moment, but I was very disappointed in myself actually. Really? And then I, uh, and I I think I was silent for the whole van ride home and everyone's very (laughs) uncomfortable about it. Um, and I've always been that way. I've been hard on myself, but I wasn't happy with it. When I listen to it now, I'm still not happy with it. I feel the exact same way that I did the day I left the studio. Really? But I do love the record. I love the songs. I'm proud of what I did. I'm very proud of my words, proud of the other members of the band. Like, I love performing the songs, and I feel like the way we perform them now and the way that I sing them now is like... Fixes the... It, yeah, yeah. That's so why I was sort of able to correct it in you know, some yeah. way. But um, yeah, so I yeah, it was a... I didn't walk out of there with my arms raised in the air with victory. You know, I knew that I had more, a lot, a lot more work to do. But is that is go. that a time sensitive thing for you? Like, do you feel like if oh, if we would have had ten days, it could have dialed this in more, or or is it just that could have, that could have helped? You were but that wasn't the reality, you know. So yeah. it it was just it, it happened the way it happened, and I did the best I could at the time, and I knew that record was coming out like so that. What was the process for them releasing the record at the time? Like, how did they distribute it? And and did you did, were you guys like okay this is gonna come out and things are gonna start happening for us or or you know what I mean I don't understand what bands went through at the time finding a label to support them and when a label drops your say you sign someone now and you know the distro is so dialed because the analytics are so through the roof that they could just do this and the the system happens and now you're fucking huge you yeah, know what I mean yeah at the time what was it for you guys like what was the process or did you guys have any anticipation of how the record would do. I don't think so. I mean, we, our mentality at that time was just like, we want to do this. We want to play in this band. We want to tour. We want to make records. I think honestly at that time, anything beyond that was just actually making money or act, you know what I mean? Like elevating to a higher level. I don't even think we were thinking about that. It was just like, do we get to keep doing this? And if there was that slight, push that we we were able to keep doing it that was everything to us All right you know so what happened when you're either doing the thing or you're not right there was no getting famous there was no next step there was no music industry there was none of that to us really existed i mean yeah, there, there was the, there was the hardcore scene in the punk rock scene that we admired and so 
I think to us, maybe playing with our favorite bands was the, or, or gaining the respect of people who we respect their art and their music. That was kind of more of a goal than our, like you said, we didn't look at it as a career. It right. wasn't like that. We weren't professionals. We were like, we were artists or we were punk rockers or we were whatever, but we weren't like music industry people. That didn't apply to us. Right. We, we saw that as a mainstream thing and a pop thing. It wasn't our world. Yeah. We never looked at it like that. So then what's a, what would, what would have been the benefit of for you? Like, how did you look at, how did you consider that label as someone that was in your corner? Like, was it just like, Oh, this person can help us make an actual record and that's kind of it. Or there were a few labels that sort of expressed interest in different ways. Like people from labels were coming out to our shows on that, even on that first tour, you know, like a little bit of word or whatever. And so they were the first people who just offered. They're like, Hey, we will pay to put you in the studio and to make this record if you guys want to do that. And so we just said yes, because they were the only people that were actually putting right. it on the table right then. And we were ready to go now. So we didn't, sick. we didn't want to play the game and like, yeah, see, well. you know, compete offers or like wait to see if something better comes around. We're like, you're willing to put this time and money and effort on the line for us. We're willing to make that record for you. And so, and you know, I know some of the nitty gritty details of, of that record that it's kind of interesting, you know, like, Frank, who was part of that label at the time, is a really good friend of ours who we still see every time we go out to the Boston area. But he he was donating plasma outside of his like regular job. Uh, and that money that he gained donating blood like put out our record. Holy for real. shit. Like that's where the budget came from. God damn. Yeah. And we're still friends with him. You know what I mean? That label folded like it didn't last. Right. Um, that record was licensed to our our current, you know, sort of home base death wish. Wow. And so, yeah. Yeah. So that, like, and that's what I'm saying at that time. It's hard to explain just how by the skin of our teeth, we did everything. You know, our van was a, a rusty old cargo van that right. had 200,000 miles on it. Like our, <laughs> you know, no one had any money. No yeah. one had anything. No one had cell phones. Like no one had laptops. Like it was just, you're living in a different world than we live in yeah, now. Like it, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. I realized that. And I don't, I don't begrudge the way things happen now. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not that nostalgic of a person, but we were just, everything was very immediate and very raw. But that's what's so impressive about it because it, it's now it's very easy to, for people to pop up and like open up shop and become notable or have some sort of skin in the game yeah. where before the rarity of it was just through putting in the work and being able to actually go and travel and do this XYZ to be seen but not very many people. I mean, it was hard to do. Like, who were you looking up to at the time musically that was kind of in your lane that you aspired to be like at that time? You know what I mean? Like what kind of bands were you looking up to? Or you would be like, oh my God, they're, they're playing. They're not no longer playing in Amvets or something. Like they're playing at these rock uh, music venues or House of Blues or some shit like that. Like were you guys ever looking up to people like that at the time? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we were looking up to... Yeah, we were looking up to bands like Converge, mm. looking up to bands like The Hope Conspiracy, yeah. American Nightmare, um, you know, bands like that. Like I was, you know, I was already a deep punk rock head by then, so I was listening to all kinds of stuff, you yeah. know, Strike Anywhere, right? Um, you know, of course, you know, Rancid, I always mention Rancid, you know, but like we were, yeah, we, I mean, we understood that punk rock in general has a larger appeal in some way or like things can happen. Right. Um, but our, you know, our brand of music, you know, and really to this day is still so non-commercial and yeah. so non like pop that we just kind of knew that we were always going to be like 
that kind of band. Yeah. You know, we knew what we were. We, we always knew what we were and we still do. So, mm. yeah. So, but yeah, we were looking up to bands that were on a slightly higher level than us, but we had access to those bands pretty early on. You know? Yeah, because there's not that many, really. Like, yeah, and they weren't that big. You yeah. know, they weren't they weren't making money either, but they were just that's what we were looking up to. So, and they yeah. all probably had their numbers in the, the blue books or whatever, like just pulling up the phone book. <laughs> yeah, probably get a hold of these people. Oh yeah, definitely. Hey, do you have any contacts for the shows in this? It's like it's yeah. crazy to think. You say you're not that nostalgic on it, but like if you really circle back and think about that hustle for just the I, the simple idea of I love this. You know what I mean? It wasn't there wasn't like tomorrow I need to get to tomorrow and do this by the time I get to tomorrow. It was just like, yeah. oh this is cool. Like people want to hear this and I'm just gonna keep doing this over and over again and try to get better and go in the studio and try to make albums and then try to put the albums out. Like growing up that was my favorite part is that when someone's like when did you uh, start focusing on making video like becoming a filmmaker and stuff like that and i'm like i don't know because i didn't really i don't remember a time where i ever looked to the future as like uh oh when i'm holding a camera is gonna make me have a life in this world you know yeah. like that's something i'll do as a career i just liked doing it then you know what i'm saying like yeah because i feel like for in music that's how we always were it was just band practices and days would go by and I it that didn't matter to me it was mm-hmm. just like I don't know I don't know how to explain it but I think when you think back to it back then it was completely different than how it is done now yeah which is so strange if you have true love for it you know if you have true passion for it and it's your it's the thing you do and think about when you wake up in the morning whether or not you have to go to a day job or you know what I mean like yeah. when it's just that automatic like you know I'm a lifer, you know, like I'm going to create forever. Right. There's nothing that's going to stop that. It doesn't matter if I make it in some financial terms or someone approves of my thing or not. I'm going to make things always, no matter what. I've always felt like that. And, you know, to some degree, the the career and industry aspects of it, you know, frustrate me because in some ways I don't want to even deal with it. Mm. I just want to create and work hard and like go do it. But to navigate everything it's a whole nother aspect of it you know it's, right. like a, it's a whole nother part of it yeah so so you guys put the record out and then what happens um we did a lot of firsts on that so we you know we went to the west coast for the first time we played california shows for the first time uh we had a europe tour offer so we went and did a, a tour in europe for the first time um and then we got a label offer that was slightly better, you know, and had, you know, death wish. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a more esteemed label. Uh, Jake, one of the, uh, you know, co-owners of death wish, uh, is in converge. Mm -hmm. Like I said, a band we admired. And so that was a, that was a big, that was a big step. You know, that was a big, like, Hey, this label wants to put your, your next record out. And that was a big opportunity for us. So it was pretty quick. I think that we did West coast, we did Europe and, by that time that That's the second LP was, was in our sights. God damn. So yeah, it, I mean, it went really, everything went really fast at the time. I don't remember it, it being like that, but it was a whirlwind. It really was. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's going through your guys' head, especially even getting to go to Europe. Like, did you, like, did you even have a desire to go there yet? Like, have you ever thought of like, Oh, it'd be so great to go overseas. You know, we knew bands were doing, doing that. It. We knew bands were doing it, so, so we possible. knew. So we knew it was possible, and we knew it was possible for us. So yeah, I think we. What was that trip like for you guys? I mean, it's incredible. You know, my first time in a my first time in a foreign country in my life. You know, and I'm I'm not there on vacation. Yeah, I'm not there to you know, see the Eiffel Tower or something. I'm there to play punk music, and I'm getting paid, 
and people care, people are there. It's just totally mind blowing. So by the time you were in Europe, you're, you're going and people are there for you. Yeah. You're seeing that happen. Yeah, we're a new American band that had something. So we're there and yeah, the That's whole so thing crazy. had begun, yeah. I mean, once we start showing up places and people know who you are and they know your songs, it's like that changes things. You right. Know? Like that's a step. Yeah. And that, that was really happening right then. So then they're offering to put out the next album and you guys are going straight back to the studio this time more than five days? Yeah, I think we, I think maybe it was 10 total this time, you know, so still like really fast. But right. that was, um, that was when we went and made Witness. Right. Which is like, you know, a big career defining record for us yeah what i mean why i mean the story of witness is you know kind of complicated and 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 this is strange to say because of everything we've that's led up to this but personally and for i think the individuals in the band you know we're all friends but we're all struggling a lot personally Mm. and i don't know why that was you know just a just an age thing and I, i don't know what it was but sort of like you know i said last night like depression runs in the family you know like we all sort of are crazy people in our own way we have issues we've struggled with anxiety we've struggled with depression that's i think and that's a basis for our friendship to some degree right it's i think it's also a a, has something to do with how we found this music Mm. and how we found each other so uh we were all struggling a lot at that time and even though the band was finding success personally we were all really having a hard time with our lives and our, I think our own minds. And, uh, so the process of making that record was very arduous and difficult. I think we felt like we were trying to take a leap, but we didn't know where to, we didn't know what we were doing. It was like, it felt like the difficult second album where you crank the first one out because you've been waiting so long and then you get to that next step and you, you suddenly don't know what to do. That's a very common, it's a very common thing for artists. You know, the first record you write your whole life, the second one like, you try to write in six months right and it's that's hard to do so what was your guys's approach for it um the band's approach was to write incredibly um non non sort of traditional music when it comes to like our genre when it mm-hmm. comes to hardcore and punk music they just sort of went on their own little path and i think wrote songs more instinctually uh, rather than trying to impress anyone or be a part of something or be heavy. And so the music was coming out very strange. The music was coming out very slow, very sort of dramatic sounding. There was a lot of sort of dramatic tension to it. Mm. And it, it wasn't it wasn't speedy punk rock music that was very loud. It was sort of almost felt orchestral in a way. Right. And I was personally losing my shit a little bit because I was like I can't sing to this music like I don't even know what's I don't even know what you guys are doing right now I don't even know what's going on but I don't have the kind of voice to carry this five minute epic song yeah that's not what I do you know I sing punk music it's fast yeah I I spit the lyrics and the song ends and and we go on to the next one and so this uh, presented this huge challenge to me where I had to find a way to make my voice and my approach and my experience work in the context of music that was just completely structurally different. And um, so a lot of the music on that record challenged me and I struggled with it all the way until the studio. I went into the studio to make that record feeling as if I was definitely, definitely going to fail. 
and that it was not going to happen. I was not going to make the record that needed to be made, but the wheels were so set in motion that I had to go do it. Right. You understand? Yeah, like, yeah. If I would have had an easy opportunity to say like, I'm bowing out. Thank you, everyone. Like I would have done that, but th there was just too much momentum, too many people, exp you know, too many people. Yeah, you let. I was so gonna let. Down. I was gonna let all my friends down. Right. I was gonna let the label down that right. I respected. So I couldn't do that. And so I again, I went into the studio much like the first record, and I did my best. Um, my best in this circumstance was a lot better than the first time around. Right. Um, it involved my lyrics being. Uh, changing, being different, being about different things. Um, my lyrical approach and my vocal approach changed because it had to because of the way the music sounded. Right. And so I was legitimately just trying things that I didn't even exactly understand at the time what I was doing. Just more, more po a more poetic, drawn out, you know, approach to, to punk music. And it was definitely unknown territory for me. And you know, I can say that at this point, that record is a—it's a unique record. Absolutely. You know, it's, there's not another record just like that. So, um, but we were in—we were in territory that we didn't quite understand, and we were just, again, being honest and working as hard as we could work. And in the end, the product that we, the, or the record that came from that, was something special that no one had really done before, and it impacted people. What were like, like, when you telling the stories in these songs? What would be some of like examples like you said it was a different way of you writing lyrics? You know what I mean? How did you approach telling some of those stories? Like if there's any specific examples that you have? Um I mean Dead Ramones is like the biggest song in the world. I I was putting it to all my snowboarding edits. Yeah. That was like my yeah. background music to <laughs> yeah. every snowboarding video I ever did. But it's like when you go into to come up with that process if it's that different, the music sounding that different, did that change the way you were doing your storytelling? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was telling the story of, I guess, my life and the story of growing up in a small town very explicitly in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's a song on the record called Marshalltown, mm -hmm. the name of my hometown. And it's about driving around my hometown in my car in sort of a state of mental distress and referencing the name of the first venue that we played, the Coliseum Blue Room. Um, very specific intentional like this is where we're from right like we are not a cool east coast hardcore band <laughs> i am not a tough guy we you know we're not la punk rockers like we are from an iowa town this is what our hearts are like right. this is what our ideas are and at the same time i was pulling in different cultural references such as you know the ramones were you know uh, sort of the gold standard like American like rock and roll band to right. me in a lot of ways, and so I the Ramones were dying at that time. You know it was like that that was happening. You know the members of that band their lives were ending, and for some reason that felt significant or special to me. Right. So I sort of tributed them with a song title and with a song about touring. Um, I mentioned a lot of books, a lot of authors. Um, Young Man Blues is a take on a Mose Allison song. Hmm. Um, Hair Raising Accounts of Restless Ghosts is the name of the first mixtape given to me by an older punk who was educating me on a lot of music. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. There's, there's a lot of references, uh, literary and beyond, in that record that was just things I was interested in at the time. Right. And I was just like, you know, my, I was like everything but the kitchen sinks going in right now. Like full honesty, 
full full exposure in all ways and like you know pull no punches try to make something unique don't stop but then it worked too because as a listener you know and some of us it's like when like john and jimmy you hear these different songs yeah that you you're i'm able to sit in your chair you know what i mean and hear that like these stories be told so truthfully mm-hmm. but to hear them be told that truthfully you find things that resonate with you and feel like common you know what i mean so every i mean almost all the lyrics are so common to every punk kid that grew up in that era you know what i mean like yeah so to resonate with that you we immediately adapt and support it it's like all right yes that's that's our voice for what we're going through you know what i mean the magic of music or the magic of truly great lyrics is making something that is so specific feels so universal Mm. you know what i mean when someone's talking about their experience growing up and they're talking about their streets their mother their friends their friends that they lost the violence they witnessed the you know what i mean the struggles they went through and then it's so specific to their lives but then other people feel this insane kinship to it you know they understand you understand it so well and that was my those were the records I loved growing up. You know, right. those ones that really, really were talking about very specific places, people, and things that felt so real to me, even though my life experience was nothing like that. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's what the success of that record is about, Witness. It's about people in a small town in Iowa being so truthful and so real and so, like, passionate about something that people all over the world like felt it and they're like i feel that way too yeah so it's just you know it's a once in a lifetime kind of experience i think what up creators i want to remind you about our community at jointhehomies.com the homies are the squad of legends who support what we do here at black window cream so we can continue to build this platform into the best educational space for content creators on earth And in return for that support, we give you a bunch of sick perks all month long, like access to our live stream tutorials and hangouts, bonus podcast episodes, and so much more. Check us out at jointhehomies.com. Let's go. And that came out in like 2005, 2005. And that's when I started really finding everything. You know what I mean? At that Mm -hmm. point, it's like come in the Cedar Valley, like you get introduced to music and immediately are pointed towards my life is war and then but you guys aren't you don't live there you're not you know i mean it's very rare that you guys are around mm-hmm. and i remember at the time it was like getting to a my life is war show is like the most important thing in our as a mission for us <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean for me and my friends and trying to convince people like yo they're playing in marshalltown we have to go or they're yeah. playing iowa city or they're playing in, and i would drive we would drive to minneapolis to catch you guys a show and going it was so crazy because at that point it's like the shows were so big you guys would you know what i mean you're headlining and playing these shows in um, like trip, Triple Rock was that was it Minneapolis? Yeah, Triple Rock. So Triple Club, Rock, yeah. and then like uh, I don't know, I don't remember everywhere, but we would go to all these shows, Milwaukee, all this stuff, and we're yeah. like seventeen and trying to like, please, parents, like be cool with this. Like we we're not going to do any fucked up shit there. This yeah. means so much to us. We have to be at this shit, and to have that, like to go and see someone that is from our community. You know what I mean? Like Marshtown, but you still did. Like at the same time, while all this stuff's happening, the house is still there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you guys left, but the house stayed in motion, right? Yeah. Sidebar to that real quick. So then what happened? You guys leave and you it's almost like you handed over the keys and everyone else just kind of kept moving in and taking over that house. Yeah. I mean, I was never like the main booker there. You know, right. like Josh was really the most active in the beginning. I, I just helped start it. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. then like we played there throughout the years. Yeah. Um, but like, 
yeah, Josh and, you know, the other people who lived at the house just sort of took over, you know, it was a, it was a community thing, you know, yeah. different people moved into the house uh, and different people would take on booking shows and stuff like that. So, yeah. Which record did you guys put First and Ellen on? Uh, that was the first one. So that yeah. was my love, my way. Right. Yeah. Cause I was living there while the first record was being written. So, so yeah. crazy. Yeah. Cause that, and, and now in the basement. Yeah. And now, I mean, that basement is cr- creepy. Creepy basement. Yeah. Yeah. For Spiders. Sure. And yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Creepy. Yeah, the whole deal. Um, now having gone beyond, like a- as you guys continue to grow, this album's coming out that this house for me is like our go-to escape space to like hear music and see bands come through and you, all these historic bands have played in there to us. Yeah, it was sort of legendary at so that legend- time. It was crazy. But yeah. we, when I started touring, you'd be, I'd be like on the East coast and someone would be like, you're from Cedar Falls. Wait, you, you've been the, yeah, what's I mean, up with the garage? Yeah, everyone up, knows about it. And yeah. it's changed like FSU yeah. garage or FUK garage. And it's like yeah. got all these nicknames and everyone knows about it. But yeah, we go there all the time. We like, you know about it? And they're yeah. like, yeah, we know that song. And it's so crazy how, that blew up and then sl- it ended up closing down. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what year that was, but I remember the fire marshal came and we tried to make this whole campaign to keep it open and we were going to city hall. All these punk kids are going to city hall fighting for it. <laughs> yeah. And the, the city, these people are like, look, you guys are going to die. One fire that like, I know you guys don't understand that now, yeah. but like we're saving your lives. Yeah. Like, I mean, it should have happened. I think there was at one point someone went to Marshalltown and like stole uh, a bunch of like baby Jesus, like Jesus's from a manger and like tied them up. <laughs> Hanging upside down, yeah, yeah. Hang, yes, and so we would sure. swing on these like little manger things. Like, dog, that shit was the craziest place in in the world. We, yeah, we can. I think we can dig up some pictures and post them. Yes, for, yeah. There's, related so, there's to this so many good ones. Yeah, and random dudes you have to see naked it to and really shit. understand just, it. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. But that that's for us. That continue to live on as you guys continue to go places. But you guys were like the voice pointing back to it. So then all these other bands want to play there. You know, they hear about this song and they're hearing you guys, obviously seeing you guys grow. Sure. Everyone wants to come to Cedar Falls to play that place. And sometimes we'd have to do it like a boathouse or we'd rent all these different places if the garage wasn't there. But when it closed down, it was so crazy how it shit. It, it like everyone was just shook by it. Cause it was like such a historic place. But now, like I was just saying this to you last night, standing at the show, you guys play that song and everyone knows that song, but it's crazy being in LA with another person from Cedar Falls. And we were both like, man, it's so crazy that out of this room, maybe 10 people had been in there, had been yeah. there, in LA yeah. specifically, but like, but everyone knows the stories about this place and what it means to everyone. And which is interesting. Cause it might not even have such a major impact on you. It's just a spot you lived at. You know what I mean? Yeah, at the time, I didn't feel like it was that. I, you know, when I was penning the song title, I was just like, I don't know, this is the streets I live on. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, uh, it wasn't. It, it, I didn't think anyone, especially that time, I didn't think people were going to care like that. Let alone this this many years later, right? It's you know, it wasn't. Yeah, but to see, so when we're we're traveling to see you guys play and everything, it would it was the magnitude of seeing you guys play was so big. Like it was so far. Like I would never know that I'd be friends with you someday i was just right. like wow this is like i don't know who to compare it to you know what i mean it's seeing but Jay-Z. we knew who all you guys were because you were coming from yeah we're like oh there's there's from iowa things. yeah we see you know we knew who you were right but yeah. we didn't know that when we're just saying that like we have to get in this space we're like this means so much to <laughs> yeah. us and like like people like we just need to be there and the the influence that had on us because then we're seeing you guys on actual stages now it's not you're no longer on the plane on a floor or out mm-hmm. in a park uh, fucking you know what I mean some random ass park with outlets and like yeah. we would do all these shows to see someone go to the next level was so inspiring and then that makes all these bands in Cedar Falls Waterloo area whatever like even Des Moines and stuff like see that it's possible for us to do it too and then yeah. it triggers everyone to go and tour and that was like my first 
touring experience was like going to the East Coast. We did the same path that you guys did. Yeah. So what, was who, was it, who was that with? What was uh, it? Old Men Dead Dogs was my band's name. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, oh, and ex, um, it wasn't expire. It was a. Uh, um, Damn, they're gonna listen to this shit and be mad at me that I forgot their bands. Take control was Take the control. first okay, like yeah, yeah. first band to really figure it out. Yeah, they yeah they went and did it. They they did it and yeah. and then they actually gave us their van to take on tour and it was just a disaster like we lost we had no money no one paid us for our shows like by the time we got to connecticut we had to drive straight home because we didn't have, we couldn't do the rest of it but it was like the first time getting experience it and it felt so good to be like you guys to be able to say like well they do this shit and like there's it must work yeah and to go and fail very hard and then to do it again the second time and it was like a success not like you know what i mean but like to make your money back yeah was so cool and and that develop me as a person you know what yeah. I mean? touring develops you as a person and being on the road or traveling and seeing stuff and meeting people really changes like your entire mindset um, sure and for you to talk about on this album touring like specifically touring and and bright writing out your records like how did that develop you as a person being on the road i mean at that time definitely i did gain a lot of confidence in myself really probably in a lot of ways for the first time once like we finished witness and started going after that. I was, I started to kind of feel different. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I do have valuable things to say, right. you know, it wasn't just a, like, I want to sing in a punk band. Like we're doing this shit. It was like the art of it and the, you know, like it just all began to like, I understood that it, it was starting to mean something more. Right. And, and the different things were like, yeah, we were actually seeing the impact of our influence back home with new bands starting new, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you could, you could just tell thing, important things were happening. Um, it was hard to process it all at the time as it is when things are happening, you know, yeah. you look back and you get it. But at the time, I think I did start to understand that something special was happening and that, you know, words and lyrics and also your ethics as a band and the way you present yourself is important. And I think we started to really become, you know, modern life is war like crystallized during that right. time in that moment huh. that's so interesting yeah. it's like as you as it progresses as you know you start to try you guys are touring everywhere like you guys went everywhere i think did you guys you guys toured japan yes we did japan we did europe several times we like did all across canada like shot across the whole country several times like the u.s just like non-stop over and over, over and over again um, yeah. For us being home and like knowing that you guys were in Japan playing music, like the, how far that is from Marshalltown, yeah. Iowa, like yeah. the literal miles is like insane. And then the <laughs> yeah. cultural change is completely different. And to tell someone in Japan about Marshalltown, I was like the most ass backwards, like conversation of like, yeah, this is what this is like over here on this side of the world. But for you guys to go across the world, I mean, that's like, it's ludicrous. And you guys did it for years. Like you guys, did that shit for years and years and years putting out your music and traveling and, and developing as a band and then i think it was like 2008 was that when you guys quit yeah that's like you guys called it yeah and why 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 did you guys decide to call it so we we got like a bigger label offer you know we had we actually had like kind of a decent studio budget for the first time and so we just tr kind of tried to make another leap i guess um we lost two original members of the band around that time hmm. um, and I think it was just the pressure of life at that time in our lives you know you're in your mid-20s and things are getting heavy for different people in different ways maybe you have a relationship that you're really 
feel like is the thing in your life. Yeah. And then you're on tour all the time and we're out there all the time, but we're not making money. You know, right. you're coming home and like trying to get a part-time job for three weeks so you can like go out again or whatever, yeah. you know? So it was like really like hand to mouth, tough life, playing 200 shows a year, being exhausted all the time, having no money. Like it was just, it was a grind. Right. And so, you know, we're trying to move on to bigger and better things. Meanwhile, like, you know, a couple band members leave and no one really ever wanted that to happen. Um, we moved to a bigger label. Um, Did they leave because you guys were moving to the label or? No, definitely not. So no, weird. it was just all, I think, sort of, uh, just everything was changing right. all at once. Yeah. And, um, and music was changing and social media, I think, was starting to become, just starting to become yeah. a thing then. Um, and I think we just lost focus of like where we were going and like what it was all about. I right. think, you know, when you live for a few years off something that you can barely live off of, you're going to question that eventually where you're like, Hey, right. where, when does this end? Like, right. are we just going to keep, you know what I mean? Is there a breakthrough? Are we going to keep grinding like this? How many years am I going to do this? Like you start to have certain fears and certain, uh, you know, yeah, you just start to, you start to lose track. Right. You know, you start, and, and not only that, but you start to be someone who shows up at a venue and people want to talk to you and people know who you are. And that's kind of a jarring experience for some nerdy kids from Iowa who never like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like you start to get treated differently. And I think that really affected me in like almost a negative way where I, I couldn't process that. I couldn't process being like on a pedestal on any kind of a pedestal. Yeah. And we were always philosophically and ethically against that. And we right. still are. Right. So we'll talk to anyone. Right. Anyone can chill with us. Like yeah. we're not, we'll never be like behind something that you can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. we never separate ourselves like that from people who support the band or love the band. Like it's all the same shit. So, um, but that's a real thing. Like yeah. our thing, even though our ethics are there, you're living in real life where people idolize people and people, yeah. you know, and people look up to people and that's natural and it's, right. it's totally fine. Yeah. But I didn't know how to deal with that, you know, and I, I didn't want to deal with that mm. and I didn't understand it. And like, I didn't, it, even at that point, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a career musician. Right. I felt like I was living my dream. I was living something I always wanted to do. And that at some point I would be living a real life, which meant like what I saw adults do right. in my experience. Like I didn't think you was there just, pressure for that. Did you have like anyone from the outside pressuring you for that? I don't think explicitly, but I had just, you know, the thing that you talked about going to see modern life is war. It gave you guys a sense of possibility, right? You saw someone doing something that you could identify with and that you could see yourself doing in your life. So then you went to try to do it. Right. I think in some ways we lacked those examples hmm. of people who were um, doing the thing. You know, we didn't grow up watching people do the things that we wanted to do. We grew up watching people do jobs that we could never imagine ourselves doing, right. living lives that we could never imagine ourselves living. Right. So I don't know, it's just, it's a, it's a strange psychological thing, I think. But I think that, you know, just a lot of things came to a head, the hard work, the poverty, the constant touring, the, you know, the struggle, the grind of it, the you know, the professional pressure of certain things. And we just, you know, the band member changes and we just kind of lost track and just, I, I ended the band because I felt like I was losing control of it and I didn't know where to take it or I didn't know how to maintain it. Mm. And I didn't want to drag our legacy through the mud in any way. Right. I, I, I felt a lot of, 
I, I felt that there was something special about it and I didn't want to see that be tainted by anything. So right. I would rather pull the plug than, than to, than to, you know, kind of like degrade the legacy of it in any way. So that, that was why it ended. So was that at the time you're like going in the studio, were you supposed to be in the studio recording? Well, no, we made, we, we did make a record for equal vision mm. called midnight in America oh, yeah, right. with our two like new band members. And so it was kind of like a different, it was a different thing, you know, it was a different, on a different label, it was a different era and like things change, you know, so. So in that, that, at that point you put that out and you go through the motions of what that's like putting out a record and having to probably tour it again. And, and, but did, cause there was a final tour. You guys did your final tour where you bopped around and did like all your major spaces, right? Yeah. Europe and US. Yeah. Um, was that with that record? Is that what that was? Yeah. Okay. So you do that final tour and you guys announce it. What was it very, was it hard to announce it? At the t- I never have a problem, like I said at the beginning, I'm not, or I tend to not be very sentimental. I'm always ready to move on. Right. I'm like, let's go forward. Like right. whatever is the past, we're not dwelling on that. Like we're moving forward. I saw, you know, my life and the lives of everyone in the band as being, you know, linear things. Like everyone's on a path. Mm-hmm. This is ending right now. It just seemed like an inevitability. It didn't seem like it was ever meant to last forever. And we felt like that was the end of it. Like this right. is the end of it. So we're moving on. Um, I think it was to us like we're a punk band punk bands break up that's what happens you do your thing you got this incredible opportunity that almost no one gets and we got to live it and we lived it right and now it's ending and we will all move forward in our lives super blunt (laughs) that's how it was (laughs) yeah I know and that's how I you can ask you know my friends I believe it that's how I am well I I know I uh, I'm determined and hard on myself to a point that's like, you know, sometimes. Well, I know a lot of people question crazy (laughs) decisions, right? Like some people would be nervous to pull the plug on something because they're like, but could it become sustainable? Could it create an income? Could it somehow level up? Will social media become something that's a bigger platform to distribute on? Who knows what the fuck would happen? Like those fears. But for you, it sounds like you were very confident in the idea of like, I don't, even if it's a possibility, like, we've done something great and I have a other, another mission. Yeah. Huh? It's crazy. I, I remember it coming, like it, it being like such a holy shit moment for us when you guys said it was over with. Yeah. And then to have the final tour happen, um, I got to play the Cedar Falls show, I think whatever the last Cedar Falls show was, yeah. which was fucking awesome. And for us to be like, honored you know to like have gone to all these shows yeah to be on the bill to be on the bill is like the coolest shit in the world for us at the time yeah um and i just remember being like it was like you're happy as fuck but you're sad as shit at the same time because it sucks that it's like that's the last time that's gonna happen here you know what i mean like we did i remember that i think i just saw at my dad's house or my parents house um i found a bag of my old shirts and i have like the my life is war uh St. Patty's Day. It was like this green shirt. Yeah, we played in Cedar Falls. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. like all these moments that like we've gone through, and you know, it's the end of it's it. It's the Grim Reaper standing on a mountain of beer cans. Yes, I think, if yes. I remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard ass shirt. Yeah. I'll see if I can post it when yeah. I'm back for a holiday. But damn, it, seeing that be that have that be the end, and then everyone goes to Marshalltown for the final show, yeah. and this shit was like, I literally, I'll talk about this whenever somehow it comes up about punk and this, this, and that in Iowa. Yeah. This is the one highlighted moment in history for us you know what i mean because this shit was the wild you made everyone come to marshalltown to see like where you guys are from and where it be, you know came from right yeah we i mean we had we announced the final show we did it in our hometown 
So we did it in our hometown and there's, you know, again, there's not, there's still not a venue like that many years later, there's, there's no rock club to go to. Yeah. So we, again, we like rented a spot and, um, just like how it started. Yeah. Just how it started. And we brought in our own PA stuff and we, we built our own stage, which broke that night as we'll probably talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we threw a big show in Marshalltown. My dad was a lone security guard. Uh, our friends ran the door. Like we did everything how we did it yeah. in 1995. Right. Like we, you know, it was like we're running this. People are flying in from all over the world, Literally. and like flying into Des Moines and flying into Minneapolis and Chicago and renting cars. And there's like plates from all over the world. People are taking Greyhound buses from like Alabama, and it's just like hundreds of people from all over the world there to go to Marshalltown. Yeah, the place that hosted the show had never hosted a concert before of any kind never had any kind of live music event there and we approached them and we're like hey we think this space is big enough and would work we want to do this show and they're like oh yeah your band wants to play here yeah sure you guys can come in your band can play here are your friends going to come out you know like you think people will buy some beer and we're like yeah this might be kind of a big might be kind of a big deal you know and they're like all right yeah you, you guys can play here and they just had no idea what was about to hit them i mean they you know like so yeah, it was a but it was yeah it was a monumental show where people from all over the world showed up in a small town in Iowa to wit you know to like be a part of something that had become a part of all of their lives it, you know like yeah. it was all the people that were there it was like this is something special to me this right. isn't this isn't just a band I like this is like personal it it, it was what, how many people would it hold like a, a thousand. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think there maybe was seven, eight hundred people there. Yeah, it was, but the the real count it will probably never be known in a way. I mean, it was you know the, we had bu- to like the building fast. was packed, the parking lot was packed. It was insane. It was sold out. Like people were there who didn't have tickets. People were sneaking in. Like it was a little chaotic. But it was ridiculous. And and yeah. to be in a to like we all knew like how the urgency of like all right, we got to make sure we get the tickets or whatever it was when it yeah. came out. And then you heard about people that were flying from China and Australia and all this shit. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, this is going to be so crazy. And the idea, we all thought like it was going to be our show for Iowa people because we're like, oh, well, they'll already see them when they go elsewhere. And then we'll get this like thing packed out. I had mono. Like, I think my mono had just kicked in or whatever. And I was brutal. Like that whole, I slept as long as I could, like throughout most of everyone else that played, but it was like all of our friends that were playing. Mm-hmm. And then, I remember standing on the side of the stage. It was this like wooden stage that you guys had built. And I like just stood at a, the perfect spot. So you do the whole, you know, my life is war from here and then ran and jumped. And I remember feeling like I was on the people, you know, just like on top of everybody. And then it just like uh, felt like a tidal wave where it just flew into where you guys were at. Cause the stage snapped somehow broke and literally just like caved in everyone just like toppled over each other and that's when i was like this show is going to be the most insane show ever 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 and uh i think they end up like within like 20 minutes like somehow a bunch of dudes like picked up with all their shirts off and they're all swole guys they like picked up the stage and like threw it outside and then created like this human barrier because as soon as you guys play a song everyone wants to come sing it with you so everyone's pushing in yeah there's like a there's just a yeah, it's like the tides coming in. Yeah. Everyone's coming. Everyone's coming towards the band. They're climbing. And with that many people in a room with no stage, there's nothing that can stop it. it it's. It, it, I think there's photos of it, and you just see these swole dudes, just tatted, ripped, fucking dudes, just linked arms, and they're just like leaning back, and we're 
in between them like trying to <laughs> try to get, <laughs> try to get through and shit like it didn't make sense but you were you're like pushing back but also wanted to be there and that 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 entire set was like the most like vivid moment yeah. in music at that time for me you know what yeah. i mean like to have experienced that shit sorry i don't know why my computer's going off but like I don't, what did it mean to you you know what i mean to to have that happen to have everyone there to have the motions of that shit go so high and then to play like the final song and then and then it was just done i i've you know i've experienced i think several shows not necessarily just once we've played but every once in a while you're at a show and you're like this shit's spiritual mm-hmm. like this is beyond this is not jamming the songs and singing this is like something else you yeah. know and it felt like that and like i knew it while it was happening so i was like i mean it was definitely emotional you know like i was like not crying but i was like my eyes were welled up a lot like it was very physically intense because i was sort of like fighting people off and it was just like totally chaotic but you know i had chills running up and down my spine like i'm looking at my friends like you know like people who i grew up with all my life like people who i met in japan like i don't know it was it was definitely overwhelming like it was super emotional like i felt like yeah, I felt I was feeling all the emotions. I knew how important it was. Like I knew what was happening like at the time. Yeah. Which is a little overwhelming, you know, it's like it was a lot. Yeah. It was just a lot. Such a crazy I I don't is there even footage? Did someone people had to have filmed this, right? There is footage. I know yeah. there's a ton of photos. Not there's definitely footage. There's footage of the stage collapse for sure from the back of the room, like back. High. Right. Yeah. God damn. But it's a uh, <clears throat> you know, so you guys end it that that night and then years later bring it back for like this reunion i don't know if did you call it like a but it was just like there was like only like certain amount of dates that you guys were going to play like maybe five years later or something four years later yeah well i basically what happened you know chris um contacted our bass player chris contacted me and just said hey i want to do this again like i think about all the time i'm hungry for it i want to do it you know and uh, again, me being like sort of like not wanting to be overly sentimental or re- relive the past in any way, I said, okay, well, if we can write a full length and it's good <laughs> and we all feel like it's worthy, then then yeah, I'll go play shows. But right. I'm not just going to come back and play the old songs. So everyone got together, wrote the you know wrote a whole new record, and then we made that, and then we went out and played shows. Right. So it it was like the beginning of the band, you know, where I was like. I'll do this, but I'm not just going to, I want to make, I want to make a record. I want to document it. I want to make it real. I want to do it right. You know? And Mm. so that was like, that was how we started the band and that's how we came back. So we wrote fever hunting and then we, you know, we put that out and then we play our first show back was this is hardcore festival in Philly. And it was ins- like it was, was f- insane. Literally watching insane. it on YouTube and shit because it was like a yeah. That's footage you can you can look up and it's see. Literally bananas. Like it didn't make sense. And it was like I, I had like fucking chills on my arms the whole time I'm watching the video because you just knew it was happening. We couldn't go, and you're just watching it like coming back because now you have time has passed. So you have this whole new wave of people who have had time to either find the old records or are brand new to the music. You know what I mean? So the there's there's no doubt that we were twice as big or more at that moment when we came back than we ever were before. You know, I mean, it had just grown in in the absent in our absence for five years. You yeah. know, like it just grown and grown and grown. There was just it was bigger. It was bigger now. So then, what did that make you guys feel like moving forward? Was it 
you know, because you weren't touring as often. It was just kind of like sparingly, right? Yeah, we just decided, what we decided was that, you know, when the band ended, we had lost control of it by trying to be so busy mm-hmm. and to make a living off it and to be on the road all the time and to keep moving forward and keep progressing and keep getting bigger, keep looking for the next level, all that. It, it got in the way of like, what is this about? Yeah, It's about creating. It's about your friends, you know? It's about giving kids like where you come from or where you don't come from, the sense of possibility, you know? Like it's about real lyrics. It's about playing on stage in a way that makes people believe in what you're doing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you saw us play last night. Like, do we mean it any less than we ever did? Hell like, no. absolutely not, yeah. you know? But the thing is now, like, and when we came back, we wanted to control it. Like, this is ours. This yeah. belongs to us. Like, I don't want to depend on this to make a living. I don't want to have to get to a next level. I don't, you know what I mean? All the pressure of like the, the grind of like trying to make something bigger or to make something sustain just in the end, like felt like a negative in some ways. So we, our, our terms on coming back were, we're going to do this our way. Right. We're going to control everything. And, and to us, that means not doing as much. Right. So, and but, everyone, but everything everyone, we do, like every show we play is not just because we needed a show. We don't take a tour because we needed a tour. Everything we do is because we want to play in that city with these bands. Right. And this is what we're doing, you know? So yeah. everything, every time we get on stage, just like, we're ready. We yeah. Have, yeah. Everything's there. You know, all of our passion is there. We're not, we're not tired. You know, we're not like burn out. We're, we're there to do it. You know, we're there to make it real. Was everyone else in that, in that, uh, in the band kind of on, on the same path as that, like feeling the same way with that thought process? <clears throat> I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, honestly, I've always led the band in a certain way. Um, you know, we're, we're a total democracy band. Like I don't have any more say in how things go than anyone else in the band. It's always been that way. Right. But, you know, in terms of like, sort of like the philosophy or like the creative direction of things, yeah. um, uh, you know, that's always kind of been my, my thing right you know luckily i've my friends in the band have just been really you know they believe in me in that way yeah so that you know they'll really get behind me if i feel passionate enough about something and i speak about it in a certain way they're going to get behind me that's you know? great. They still do so so yeah. in, and in the process too of all this you you like i remember you started hosting like dj events in des moines mm-hmm. um with like mike watson Oh, well, that, kind of, that, that sort of came later. That was yeah. later? Well, yeah, I kind of did my own stuff for years. And then uh, and then like me and Richie Dagger linked up and right. started doing DJ stuff together. So how did the and, DJ thing start happening for you? Like, was that just another outlet for you? Yeah, so I like, I sort of got into, I got into soul music. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I briefly moved to Minneapolis like in like 2002, right. three, And so... I don't know, just so I don't know how I really ended up there, but at that time I was really only listening to punk music and hardcore music and heavy music like that. Yeah. And somehow I ended up at a soul night in Minneapolis called Hip Shaker, and I just watched these two DJs play old Soul 45s and throw this crazy dance party in this like basement bar in downtown Minneapolis. And I just like something just clicked where I like fell in love with music in this way that I hadn't ever experienced it, you know, because music to me was always about like anger and youth and like skateboarding and shows yeah, and like yeah. madness. And then all of a sudden I heard soul music and something just like a light went off in my mind. And I was just like, I love soul music, you know? Yeah. And it was just a, a different, it's a different feeling. But then all the band stuff just like 
went crazy like right then yeah right and so i i tour for 10 years or not 10 years but you know i lived my life for 10 years essentially right bef- like with that passionate interest in that music in my mind and i was like buying records and like learning about that and like trying to understand djing yeah and so it was something that djing was something that i wanted to do like the whole time the band was touring and we were playing in Europe and playing in Japan. I'm like trying to find soul records. Right. And I'm trying to go to DJ nights and like observe and like learn about the culture aspects of it. And, yeah. and so, you know, I just like, it, it had just been something that was burning in my mind for a long time. And so as soon as the band had like a break and it was done, I was like, that's what I'm gonna do now. Yeah. So then I got heavy into the DJ world. So what would you do? It was, what was like uh, average, you know, night for you DJing? Well, the first thing I did was, uh, again, this is going to come back to the band thing because the first thing that I did as a DJ, my first public like DJ set was my own party, right? Which is an arrogant, Just, crazy thing to yeah, do. Pull up, you know. You're supposed to have guest spots and see if you can kind of tiptoe your way into a scene and like right all that. And I was like, I'm throwing a party. <laughs> this is what it, it's called. Pressure drop. You yeah, know? pressure like, drop. That's right. It's called pressure drop. And I'm going to play old 45s and it's going to be a dance party and it's going to be in this basement. And you know, that's what we're doing. So, so I made the flyer for it and like set it up and just promoted it all over the city. Cause no one was playing. If you wanted to go dance, it was only top 40 right. or club music, right. electronic music. There was no, nowhere to go dance to like rock and roll records or to soul records or to rhythm and blues records. Right. So, I wanted to create that because that was something that I had learned many, many years prior was yeah. possible. And I, I have just, you know, again, yeah, sense of possibility, brain. you know, you have that in your mind. Like I saw someone do it. So yeah. I was like, that can be done. So I set out to create that. And so I made that party happen and it was, you know, it ran for three years yeah, it was and annual. it was packed out. And Would it was you do like, it every month, every month. Yeah. 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 All over Des Moines? Or did you travel with that at all? Uh, yeah, I did it at a few different places, but it was mostly at one venue. Yeah, one small like basement dive bar. So fun. Yeah. It always looked crazy. Totally crazy. To yeah, packed. Packed, sweaty, people dancing. Yeah, just like a similar energy in a way, you know? It's yeah. Like, it's interesting like how similar it is with the music being so different. So now, I mean, you guys just did this stint. It was what? This is like a five-day tour? Uh, four days. Four days. Yeah. So you guys just hopped. It's the, the West Coast? Yeah, we did Seattle, Portland, Berkeley, and L.A. And so and now, time. what's like moving forward? Like, what's your guys' plan? Like, where you guys see see this going, and what's your plan personally? Well, we we've put out so we put out two singles uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, we call them Tribulation Work Songs, and so we have we we've put those out recently. Honestly, we were planning on continuing that series and doing like more volumes of it, uh, but we've sort of like I think we're changing paths right now and we're going to write a full length. Really? So yeah, that's what we're, we're working on that now. Nice. Um, we played a new song last yeah. night at the LA show and that's probably, you know, inevitably going to be a part of that, but we do have a handful of songs written. And I think, you know, we feel like we're at a time right now where we need to write a full length. Um, we've experienced a lot of personal like tragedy in our world this year. And yeah, I heard that, you mention that that changed some things for us. And then I think also politically, and culturally things are so insane in the United States and around the world right now. I think like we, you know, we want like, we want to have our big say yeah. in our big, you know, like we need to tribute some people. We need to lift some people up and we need to like talk about some things. And like, we're just ready to like make that big statement again yeah. with this band. So we're going to do that. 
but you know it's going to take a while dude when in your writing process are you writing are you writing for that um now or would you do you wait till the music's starting to be put together bef- before you me personally yeah, lyrics. Personally, yeah lyric, lyric wise uh yeah i'm writing lyrics every day yeah yeah i write every day okay so damn that's exciting i mean song you know songs come together in, in some way over some long time yeah like my my process of sitting down to write lyrics is not like okay here's a song now i sit down and write the lyrics to it it's like my mind is like always spinning up concepts and titles yeah and words and like full verses or a chorus that i know you know like yeah. i'll have a little hook i sing or right. like you know it's just all like i'll have so much material by the time that like all the songs come together that it'll just be a matter of putting the pieces together what's your process for documenting all that if you have an idea on the fly are you putting in your phone like in notes in your phone or do you write it down what do you do i mean i I fill notebooks just a lot. Like, you know, I'll go through a notebook every like couple weeks yeah. or something. So I just stack those up. Nice. That's my, my main thing. Right. But I, yeah. And notes in my phone. Um, yeah. Just, you know, if I, if I don't have something with me, it's on a receipt and it's in my wallet, you know, yeah. like, I think most, most like lyricists are kind of that way where if you have to get something out, you have to get it out. So you're right. going to make sure you document it and like try to save it. If you had a suggestion to, uh, young kids getting started in music today like what would what would your biggest suggestion to them be as they communicate with each other you know because being in a band is difficult and people have different opinions and sometimes like things are really really on things are really really off but when people are piecing together their band and and they're going to commit to that they're going to be with them for the next yeah i mean in your case years and years and years yeah what what advice would you give to them when when working together that you've learned over the years (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I think that you need to be uncompromising in your vision. I think that it is, you know, like, there's just too much music in the world and too many people, like, trying to tour and make records. And, like, I think if you want to do something that is ever going to be remembered, you have to have your own uncompromising vision of it. That means you're not really attempting to follow in anyone's footsteps. You don't just want to be a part of the scene you want to create your own empire, whatever that is, yeah. whatever that means to you. Right. You know, so you, you have to have the uncompromising singular vision of what you want to do. And like, you can't let anyone, you can't let anyone fuck with that. Basically. Right. You know what I mean? That's your, that's your holy thing. But I also do believe in being kind and respecting the people who are helping you make the music, respecting the people you work with, being grateful to the people who come to the shows showing gratitude to anyone who helps you in your life in any way, even if that's the person who gives you a part-time job while you're trying to create your thing. Right. I think, you know, I definitely believe in karma. I think that as you come up, that, you know what I mean, the things you, everything comes back to you, Mm -hmm. you know, so just because you achieve some level of success, if you trample people all the way up, like you're going to get trampled. Like it's, ask anyone, ask anyone, you know what I mean? Who's been, who's been a part of things for decades, like, it's going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I think that that, those are the two big things, you know, like your own uncompromising vision and then your, your kindness and your gratitude towards, towards everyone. Right, man. Yeah. Couldn't say that better myself, friend. Um, I know we've taken up your time and you got stuff to do, but I'm just glad we got to talk about this shit. Cause it's so cool to hear from, I, I it's not like I would ever imagine you and I would be sitting here in LA doing a podcast. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Years. I mean, you know, I've been following your, amazing career and your rise too 
So like, you know, I've, I, you know, we follow each other yeah. on social media, right. we, you know, All that shit. you had my phone number, yep. you know what I mean? We're yep. in contact and I knew you were doing big things. Um, I, I've mentioned it to, I've been like, have you seen what Ben's doing? Like, have you seen who he's on tour with right now? Like mm. what is going on? I don't know. He's like this kid from Iowa. He's <laughs> out with, you know, he's out with Kendrick Lamar. Like, yeah, is that possible? Right. Like, but you know, it is possible. Of course you're here doing it. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, when you sent me a message, I was excited to hear from you. Like I was, you know, I'm honored to like be on the show. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a cool thing. It's like you have a community here. This isn't just like an entertainment platform. This goes deeper than this. And this is about like passion for your craft, passion for what you do, absolutely, passion for music. And so yeah, this is right. This is right in my world. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And it's and great. to mention before before we get done with this, uh, just so I remember this and it's stamped in history. Yeah, right. I I've recorded two two interviews today. You're my second interview. Yeah. Previous to this, I was recording with Morgan Cooper, great director. Yeah. And I finished the interview. You're about to be here. I go to the bathroom and I pull out my phone just to check text real quick. And you sent me a link. And you're like, Hey, I'm on my way, but I'm with my friend that produced this short. Um, he'd be a great podcast guest and, and I'm looking at conf- I didn't think it was real because I'm like dude you're with the producer of the director that I just interviewed <laughs> out of all the people you could have been in LA with today you're with him and I literally like FaceTime you and you answer and then I turn and it's Morgan's in the background we all went crazy everyone like, went crazy I couldn't believe that, that shit it's yeah. such a small world it is the smallest world it, it, honestly like you can connect with anybody it's ridiculous yeah. out here yeah me and johnny go back a decade we've been close friends for a decade and I, again like why i've been watching his rise you know johnny's in the room right now FYI for johnny's listeners. in the room right now and that's the other thing about this you know like as far as the advice or like you know just talking creative like you have to celebrate other people's success mm. you know i i think that competition in the end is like kind of inherently negative like right. competition's good for like pushing yourself to create but if you see like your your friends or people who come from your world succeeding and you're not applauding them and like trying to help them with their thing and like you know what I mean? You yeah. want to see them go as high as you can. And Absolutely. I, I think that elevates you too. And I right. think that's you know what I mean? That's only gonna help your your thing that you do. It's 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 definitely about that. It's not about like wishing that other people weren't you know what I mean? If yeah. you're wishing ill upon other people or their careers or their like that's ne- that's negative and uh-huh. that's negative karma and that's gonna come back to you. So it's like you know, right now I feel like so many of my friends are just rising right? and we're living in such a crazy time, but like so many people are just like rising up and they have big things to say. So it's like, yeah, it's awesome. you know, we still have the power. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I always have my guests pick. All right. So basically what I tell them to do is go to your, what's your Instagram? Manic manic times manic times so they're gonna yeah. go to manic at manic times they're yes gonna put me in your whatever your most recent post they're gonna tag me <clears throat> at ben Rovers world okay and they're gonna put this hashtag that you pick and it's just so that we both know when we see this specific hashtag that that means that people listen to us talk for an hour 30 minutes straight and they got to the end and they're gonna go comment on whenever whenever they hear it they're gonna comment on the most recent post that you make okay so what do you want that hashtag to be anything you want uh <laughs> power just power word sound power Ooh. word sound power word sound power three words all together i love it yeah all right man i appreciate it what if you know if you want them to do anything what would you want them to do if follow up with you or find you on social obviously yeah you can easy. yeah you can follow the band modern life is war yeah. you know we're on instagram and facebook i'm of excited course. to hear the so new record yeah um i'm manic times and so all my you know i'm doing other music projects i'm djing uh, i'm writing yeah. and doing doing the band so yeah if you want to follow me there you can follow me there appreciate it man this is great yeah thanks, thanks for ben. coming through thanks for having me yep all right all right